Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Now you're an expert. That's cool. But now your mind is a fury of possibility. What else could you learn? What if you could fix a sink? And while you learn to fix a sink, you learn to control your tongue. That's not easy. And then, by controlling your tongue, you could learn to control your road rage. Then, by controlling your road rage, you could have more patience with your neighbours who are throwing junk over the fence into your yard. And now, with more patience, what if you could learn how to stop raging at your roommate for leaving dishes in the sink? And, and then, with less rage, what if that girl who said, nope, was now like, maybe? That would be really cool. Then, what if you learned to stop drowning your problems in Amazon purchases and started living on a budget? And what if, with less stress, better relationships, more patience, and a control on your tongue, you begin to see that God is actually real? Or, you could just learn to fix a sink. This is a letter about your life from a man named James. It's the whole truth from the half-brother of Jesus. This is your masterclass. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, let's celebrate being together. Uh, my name is Mason Vinhouse. I know, not who you expected to see this morning, but I'm the worship director here. Um, so you probably used to see me hiding behind a guitar or a mic stand. But every once in a while when Brian is extremely desperate, he asks me to share a message. So it's one of those weeks. So <laughs> buckle in. Um, now I'm excited to share uh, from the book of James today. So we've been going through the series Masterclass, just trying to live, learn how to live life better with the book of James, right? And it's been a hard-hitting series. Like, James is tough, man. He's got some hard truths for us. There's an edge to these words that still cuts, you know, 2,000 years later. Uh, some tough stuff, and it's, it's no different today. James has some hard truths for us in this passage we're going to look at this morning. But um, I encourage you just to stick with me. I think there's some real freedom on the other side of this. Um, if we acknowledge these truths, if we really walk into them and walk through them, I think there's some freedom on the other side. So we're going to jump right in uh, into our passage of James 4, 13 through 17. You can follow on the screen, uh, always uh, with your Bible or your Bible app on your phone. I encourage you to check out the ACF Church app. We've got our notes on there. It's a great way to follow along as well. So diving right in. This is our passage for today. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if I had to summarize James's argument here, if I had to boil it down into its essential points, I think I would I'd do it like this. I'd present it as like three premises that lead to a conclusion. Okay, so I do it like this. I would boil it down to, one, we don't know the future. Two, our time is short. Three, acknowledging and following God's will is the only reasonable course of action. And then our conclusion, therefore, do the right thing now. Do the right thing now. 
So there you go. That is my entire sermon, more or less. That's my entire message. You can write those down and, and head on out. No, um, there, these, this is a pretty straightforward argument. It's pretty simple, but these are hard things to accept. They're hard things to really take a look at. And so um, we're going to spend some time and kind of flesh out the details and really let this sink into our hearts a bit. So, um, yeah, just, just diving back in, I want to review that first section. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I think this establishes our first premise there, right? Which was, we don't know the future. Which is like, duh. <laughs> like, mind-blowing stuff. We all know that we don't know the future, right? I think James's point here is that we don't actually live that out. Like most of us, uh, practically speaking, we, we go about our lives like we've got a handle on things, like we know what's coming, like we're prepared for, for what's coming ahead. And, and really, guys, we should know better. We should know better, especially after this last year and a half of a pandemic or decade, however long this has been. I definitely didn't see this coming. I definitely, I definitely didn't expect that we'd be talking about this still in, in 2021. And um, I, I don't think anybody else did either. I've always had a sneaking suspicion that no one really knows what's going on. I feel very confirmed in that belief over the last year and a half. It's just like, man, no one had a clue this was coming or it was going to be as bad as it was. And so I think that leads us to, uh, to another truth, right? Which is what we don't see coming is what changes our lives the most. What we don't see coming is what changes our lives the most. So what do I mean by that? Has anybody ever heard of a black swan event? Black swan event. So the concept comes from this book called The Black Swan, not the movie. The book, The Black Swan, by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And he, ra- he lays out this really interesting theory. It's very, very skeptical about the, the inherent unpredictability of, of the universe. And almost like the futility of human effort to really see the big things that change everything for us. To really see them coming. And, but, so anyway, he, interesting book, but he defines a black swan event like this. He, he says they are highly unpredictable, hugely impactful, and after the fact, we concoct an explanation to make it seem more predictable. Right? So some things that might qualify as a black swan event would be like 9-11, the the Wall Street crash back in 1929, led to the Great Depression, the JFK assassination, like anything just huge, world-changing, sudden, that comes out of nowhere, just seems so random and chaotic. But after the fact, we try try to make sense of it, we try to come up with a story of like, well, really actually it makes sense because of of this, right? Um, I definitely think COVID falls into this category, right? No one saw this coming. Maybe there were some ideas, some, some concerns, but I don't think anybody knew we'd still be dealing with this, you know, in 2021, right? But you, you've seen the headlines, right? The articles that say, you know, such and such a doctor, he predicted this, you know, 10 years ago, or here's why this was inevitable. It was bound to happen because of X, Y, Z. I see those. I'm kind of just not buying it. I'm kind of with uh, Nicholas Taleb here of like, these things, you can't see these coming, they're unpredictable, and we're really just coming up with stories to make ourselves feel better, right? Or maybe you got into the conspiracy theories around COVID. Not you, but like your brother was posting on my wall, just like some of that stuff about the virus, right? It's the same impulse. Like, we, we don't know what's happening to us. We don't know why. So we're, we're trying to, we're grasping at something to try to explain away almost the unexplainable. But the same thing happens in our personal lives too, doesn't it? We have black swan events in our lives, big life-changing moments that we just can't see coming. So it might be something like the car accident that, that has changed everything for your family, or the cancer diagnosis that you weren't ready for, or pregnancy tests that'll, that'll change your life, uh, or the divorce letter your spouse wrote that you didn't see coming. So see, what we, what we don't see coming is what changes our lives 
the most. And so what I'm trying to drive home here is that we are way worse at predicting the future than we think we are. We are radically not in control of things. And this, it's a scary reality, right? At the societal, societal level and at the personal level, we have a hard time seeing just the biggest things that are going to change our lives. We have a hard time seeing them coming. So this is a hard truth. This is our first hard truth from James. We don't see what's coming very well. Is there a freedom, though? Is there a benefit, you know, to acknowledging this truth and to walking through it? I, I think there is. It's that we can start to let go of those illusions of control. We can stop obsessing about the future or worrying about it because why fret about something you can't change? I think um, part of what James is doing here is, is taking us out of the future a little bit and get us back into the present moment, get us back into the urgency of right here, right now. Um, Jesus said it this way in Matthew six thirty four. He says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, some of you just really need to hear that today. You're, you're so caught up in the future, in your, your goals, your dreams, your plans, or your worries, your concerns, your fears. You're so tight-fisted about all of this that's robbing you of all peace and joy in this moment, right here and right now. And it's robbing you of opportunities to know God right here and right now and, and to advance his kingdom in this moment. But this kind of brings up attention, right? Like, so, okay, so if we're following this, does that mean we're not supposed to plan ahead, like, at all? Do we not get prepared at all for the future? Do we empty our retirement accounts, quit our jobs, and we'll just, you know, we'll just wing it. We'll just, every day we'll just wake up and just see what happens. Is that, is that what God is asking for us? Is that what it means to, to, be, to live godly? Um, I don't think so. I think there's um, plenty of other passages in Scripture that talk about the wisdom of planning ahead, of being prepared. Um, and so we always want to look at the, the full witness of Scripture, right? We don't want to take just one verse and just run with it, make this our entire life philosophy without, you know, checking the rest of the book. Because, um, you know, it's going to color each other. They're going to balance each other out. So lots of passages about, you know, the wisdom of planning ahead. I like this one. This is Proverbs 6. You might have heard this one. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Side note, I love the word sluggard. It's a great insult. Bring that one back if you can. But, but clearly, this is advocating for the wisdom of planning ahead, right? You should be prepared. Don't be the sluggard. But then you hop over to Luke, and we see this parable from Jesus. He says this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this seems a little down on the whole planning ahead, being prepared, sacrificing for the future. So, so what, what, what are we looking at? What does God want us to do? Are we supposed to plan ahead or are we supposed to kind of wing it, live in the moment? Uh, I think the solution to this tension is to ask yourself, what's motivating me as I'm looking at the future, as I'm making plans or as I'm not making plans? What's in my heart as I'm relating to the future? Because we have, we have two negative examples here, right? They're doing completely opposite things, but I would argue they're motivated very similarly, okay? So the sluggard, you know, he doesn't work hard. 
He's not prepared. He's not sacrificing for the future. And, and why? What's motivating him? It's, it's laziness. It's just sheer laziness and his own uh, selfish short-term gratification. That's all he's concerned about. So that's the sluggard. The rich man over here, he is doing all those things. He is working hard. He's getting prepared. He's saving away for a rainy day. He's sacrificing for the future. But why? Well, the parable makes clear it's, it's selfish uh, self-centeredness. That's really all that's going on there. He's only concerned for his own luxury, his own well-being. There's no concern for others or for God in that situation. So I think these are the things we want to ask ourselves as we're, we're planning, as we're relating to the future, is what's, what's in my heart as I'm looking at the future? Am I motivated by pride? You know, um, I, like I have a feeling of um, I'm the master of my fate. I have control over my destiny. That's, that's why I plan and I can secure these things. Is it, is it fear? I need, to, I need to schedule things out. I got to have every detail laid out because I, I don't trust God with the future. Is it just laziness? I don't want to look at the future because that's, that's scary and it takes work. Um, and we're all going to fall somewhere on the spectrum on this, right? From the sluggard to the planner, right? I'm somewhere in the middle, but I probably drift a little toward that sluggard side. Like, I procrastinate a lot. I don't love setting big goals for myself because, ah, uh, it sounds like work, you know, and sacrifice. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to it. Obviously, some real cons, but pros, you know, I might be a little more relaxed if things don't go according to plan. I can roll with it. I'm not going to stress out about things that might stress out somebody else. Some of you are like way, way down here. You're just planners. Everything is mapped out on your calendar for the next six months. You got the two-year plan, the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. And like, that's great. That's a good thing in many ways. But we want to ask ourselves some of these questions we've been talking about. Like, what's, what's behind that? Is, is, there, is, there a, is there a pride there? Is like, hey, I, I have a plan. I have my goals. Things are going to work out for me because I am master of my fate. Um, is it fear? I can't, let, I can't let one detail slip through the cracks because uh, it's just all going to fall apart. Um, and how, how do you handle it when things don't go the way you had planned? Can you be flexible? Do you allow God to interrupt your plans? Do you allow others to interrupt your plans? So, so it's not a matter of, of planning versus not planning. I think, I think Scripture is trying to, to, to guide us into um, asking, like, what's our motivation? What's our heart behind this? There's definitely wisdom and being planned and being ready for the future. But what's going on in your heart as you're re- relating to the future? I think that's what God's concerned with. So moving forward, James says this. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What is your life? Big question. Huge question. And, and, and James gives us a hard answer. Again, another hard answer. He says, you know, your mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. One thing we can say about your life is that your time is short. That's our second premise. Our time is short. See, we all have to face up to the fact that we are limited, finite creatures. We're mortal. We're not going to be here forever. And furthermore... The universe doesn't revolve around us. We're not that important in the grand scheme of things. Um, we went over these a few weeks ago. Pastor Brian shared these, but I, I just love them so much. They hurt. They hurt so good. So these are Richard Rohr's five promises. Um, and so they go like this. One, life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. And you are going to die. Like cheery stuff. Really cheerful stuff. I'm sorry if you're hoping for like a feel-good warm and fuzzy sermon. This may not be the one. Uh, these are some of these hard truths that James is pointing at is in this passage, right? But some of you need to hear this. Some of us need to hear this, uh, myself included, because we take ourselves a little too seriously. We think we're at the center of the universe, and we think we're going to live forever. We think we're all powerful. We really do. And um, so I like to like, repeat some of these to myself, honestly. Like, Mason, you're not that important. Mason, you are not in control. When I feel uppity, um, 
Uh, we had a pastor here years ago. He, he used to say this all the time, and I loved it. Is I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. That's totally me. I, I, I vacillate between like self-glorification and self-hatred, right? Either I'm the greatest thing ever or the worst. But either way, it's about me. Either way, the universe is about me. And so I need to review these truths sometimes just to humble myself and get myself back in proper perspective, right? Um, so God used this moment kind of in a fun way recently. Um, everybody hear about uh, Lydia Jacoby winning the, the gold here, our own swimmer? Super stoked for her. Well, a gold and a silver, right? So super stoked for her, uh, bring the gold back to Alaska. So I'm like, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, and um, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, she's from Seward. Oh, I did a couple triathlons in Seward. Like, what if I did a gold or did a triathlon with a gold medalist, right? Because the universe revolves around me, right? Everything has to relate back to me somehow. So, of course, I go look it up. I'm looking at the results. It's a small race. And, and lo and behold, she's, she's in there a few years ago, 2018. So, yes, I did a triathlon with a gold medalist. Thank you. Thank you. Very proud of that fact. Uh, here's where it gets humbling. Here's where it gets humbling. So, I looked at, <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, so, I looked at our swim times, right? Because I'm comparing times again, because Everything's about me. Uh, so I'm comparing swim times with her gold medalist. She was literally twice as fast as me. Like literally half the time. Hilarious. And then okay, but it gets better. It gets better. This is three years ago. So she was like 14 years old, which is just amazing. So a 14-year-old girl outswims me twice as fast. Three years later, she gets a gold and a silver medal. Meanwhile, what have I done the last three years? Like, I couldn't tell you. Nothing that cool, nothing that important. And so, anyway, that was just, God humbled my heart in that moment in a, in a funny way. I was just cracking up about this. Just realizing my own pettiness and just, you know, my self-obsession. Um, but sometimes these truths are just so hard, or so good for us to look at, right? To really stare in the face. And whenever we can be reminded of these facts, like, hey, you're not that important. You're not in control. These are healthy things for us. And I know it can sound painful. These are, these are painful truths, um, but there's a freedom on the other side of it. I think the freedom is when I can let go of my own self-obsession, that, that heavy yoke of constant comparison and accomplishment and trying to prove my own self-importance, I can let that go, man. It can just be lifted. I can be me. I can be an average Joe, and it's okay. I can live an average life, and it's fine. I don't have to be some epic individual, and when I can't live up to that vision, that grandiose vision, I don't have to beat myself up about it like I can just be me, and there's, there's real freedom, and there's a real peace in accepting some of those limitations, right? And even, guys, just reflecting on the truth of my own mortality can be really healthy. It can be healthy for all of us. See, when I reflect on the truth of my own mortality, it makes me value the time I do have so much more. When I don't assume I have years and years of life left, it makes me take advantage of today. And when I don't assume my friends and family will be around forever, I invest in relationships now. When I don't assume I'll get another day, I don't waste my time on frivolous things. See, when we think that we're just going to live out the rest of our lives exactly how we had planned, this all the time in the world, what happens? We end up feeling entitled to our time, entitled to our life. And whenever we're entitled to anything, what do we do? We, we don't appreciate it. We don't value it. We don't respect it. And so we end up disrespecting the time that we do have because we think we have so much time left, Right? And the reality is, guys, just we're not owed another breath. That's the reality James is pointing us to. We're not owed another breath. We're not owed tomorrow. And so it is so pivotal, it's so key that we seize today, this moment, right here, right now, to know God, to, to love others. So going, going back to James, 
He says this in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So, so here he's given us uh, what, you know, that difference between a, you know, what's you know, prideful scheming, arrogant scheming, and what's like godly, wise planning for the future. Kind of what we were talking about earlier. He says, well, it's in that simple little phrase, if it is the Lord's will. There's a lot, there's a lot in that phrase, acknowledging the will of God. I think this establishes our third premise, that acknowledging and following God's will is the only reasonable course of action. So did you know that your very existence is dependent on the will of God? Like, you don't take another breath unless God wills that to be so. Uh, scripture says, you know, throughout, it says things like, God upholds the universe by the word of his power, that he's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and that from him come all things, and we exist through him. So you see, it's only by God's sustaining will that you continue to exist. It's only by God's sustaining will that the universe itself continues existing. We don't get a reality unless God wills it to be so. We see that in creation, right? In the beginning, God decided. God willed something. He willed the universe into existence. And in his grace, he continues willing it to exist. And we get to be here and participate in that. Um, philosophers, when they talk about God, one of the ways they, they define him or describe him as, is as the, the ground of existence or like the ground of being. And what does that mean? It's, it means basically that God is the, the ultimate answer to any why question you're going to ask. It's always going to come back to the will of God sooner or later. It's like the preeminent bedrock fact of the universe. So if you're like an annoying five-year-old, you just keep asking why, 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 you will get back to God's will. So, for example, you ask, you know, why, you know, why the tides happen? Well, because gravitational pull of the moon and stuff. <laughs> you know, why, well, why does gravity work like that? Well, the laws of physics are, are such and such. Why are the laws of physics like that? Because God willed it to be that way. That's, that's just, you're just going to get there. Any question, any line of question you go on, you're going to get down to the fact that God willed it to be so. And so I think we all need to develop this constant sense of our dependence on the will of God for every moment. And some people are in a really good habit of this. You, you, you'll probably hear him say things like, Lord willing, or, or God willing, if the Lord wills it. It's... Christians throughout history have taken this verse very seriously. And before they say anything about the future, they say, well, God willing, I will go do this or that thing. I think it's a great habit to get into. You know, language changes our brains. It changes the way we think. It's going to change the way we see ourselves and see God. So I think it's a great habit to get into. But there's another sense that, um, of God's will that I think James wants us to, to get, wants us to capture is you know, not just acknowledging God's will, but we need to actively follow it and pursue it, try to understand it. Um, and that gets us into, you know, well, so, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, these are my plans, dreams, and goals, and, you know, God willing, I will go forth and do these things, right? That's one thing. It's an entirely different thing to say, hey, God, start with, I'm going to start with your will. What are your plans? What are your visions? What are your goals for my life? And I'm going to try to get myself in alignment with that plan. I'd say that's the difference between acknowledging God's will and actually actively following it, pursuing it. And so that gets us into the whole topic of discerning God's will for your life, right? And this is, that's a whole giant can of worms, uh, but I'm just, we're just going to dive in real quick. I'm not going to spend too long on it, but just give you a few thoughts, something to chew on, get some conversation going. One is this. I think we really overcomplicate this. I think we really overcomplicate it. Like people spend their lives just tied up in knots. Like what's God's will? For my life, what's God's, what's God's purpose for me? Why am I here? 
and we actually have a lot of good information about God's will for your life. God has revealed a lot of actionable information in the scriptures, in the Bible, about what he wants for humanity. It's the same for all of us. So I'll give you just a few highlights. This is God's will for your life. You are called to become like Christ. You're called to go forth and make disciples. You're called to love one another as yourself. You're called to worship God and him only. You're called to serve one another. These things, this is God's will for your life. God's will for our life together. There's no great mystery here. It's not a great murky question. We have some good, solid information that you can go forth and you can make decisions about your life based on this information. But I know what you're saying. You're saying, Mason, that's, that's not really what I'm asking when I say, hey, what's God's will for my life, right? Because we're talking about the unique, specific circumstances of our individual existence, right? These are the questions that we're really concerned with, like, you know, do I marry this person or not? Do I move here or not? What kind of career do I pursue? And again, lots can be said on this, just a few thoughts. One is, yes, God can have a very specific vision for your life on any one of those questions. He might have a very specific answer, and I, I, I can't help you with that without knowing you on a deeper level. And I think this is where community comes in, and being in relationship with other believers over time to help you walk through those questions um, they're going to help you discern that prayerfully. I think that's so key to answering some of these questions. Here's another just possibility I'm going to throw out there. If you disagree with me theologically, that's cool. We can fight about it. But just consider the possibility that God may not have an answer for every question you can ask about your life. Like, he may be giving you some freedom on some questions. I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced anyway, that uh, God has a specific plan for, you know, the color of your car. Or things like that. And people spend a lot of time, you know, trying to find God's will, trying to find God's will. And just throwing out there, what if God is saying, hey, you make a choice. I gave you freedom. Like, you make a call here. I'm just throwing that out as a possibility um, just for you to consider. But just um, either way here, either way, it's so important to be in community, to be searching these questions together with other people. And then always run it through that grid of like, here's what I know about God's will for humanity, right? I'm going to run through that grid of what God has revealed about his will. So as you're evaluating your, your, your decisions in life, ask yourself, you know, is this plan of mine, is it in line with Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God? Does it line up with that? Will it help me become more Christ-like? Does this goal of mine help me become more loving? Here's a good question to ask yourself. Is it directly prohibited by scripture? Like, is what I'm looking to do, like, directly out of line with something Scripture says? I mean, there you go. God's will has been revealed. He says, don't do that thing. So, uh, yeah, I think we overcomplicate this sometimes. Get in community. Get to know your Bible. And you're going to get to know the will of God better and better. Uh, going back to James, his last passage here, he says this. Or the last line of the section. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So I would see this as kind of the conclusion of James's argument here. Based on everything we've learned, everything we've discussed here, if we, you know, we know that we don't know the future, we know that we're finite, our time is short, and we know that following and acknowledging God's will is really the only reasonable thing to do. The only rational conclusion then is to do the right thing now. Do the right thing now. Because the present moment is all we have. This is all we ever get, guys, is this moment right here, right now. We're not guaranteed anything more than that. And see, because we can use the future to wiggle out of obedience in the present, right? Like, we've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. You've prayed those bargaining prayers with, to God, right? Um, you know, once I get through X, then I will obey you, God, right? Once the kids are out of the house, 
then I will obey you in this area. Once my financial situation stabilizes, then I will obey you. Uh, once work settles down, calms down, I'll have some time, and then I can obey you in this area. And, and what happens, though? The day never comes. There's always, there's always another excuse. There's always another situation, another emergency that gets in the way. And even if you do get around to it eventually, I would argue that you know, delayed obedience is actually disobedience. You parents out there know what I'm talking about, right? If you, you ask your child to clean their room, two months later, they come back, Mom, I cleaned my room. You're, you're not impressed. Like, that's still disobedience. That's not what you were asking when you asked them to clean their room two months ago. It's still disobedience. And the passage, you know, I, this passage here we're looking at today, it doesn't say, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it immediately, but like waits for a good amount of time, kind of take care of a few other things and details, and then they eventually get around to it, then it's fine. Then it's not sin. I, I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's implying that in the moment you see an opportunity to do good and you don't seize that moment, that it is sin right then and there. And uh, yeah, guys, I think it's just so critical because we're not guaranteed anything beyond this moment. We're not guaranteed that opportunity to come again. So it's so critical that we seize the moment, we seize today. And honestly, um, a great example of this is our is our brother Chad Garnot? We prayed for his family earlier. Um, you know, I, I I knew Chad not super well, but I did know him, and uh, we were both fellow metalheads. So we were always talking bands here in church. He came out and saw my bands perform a few times at some shows, and so I super appreciated that about Chad. But I was really unaware of a lot of the stuff he was dealing with. And um, as we've got to talk with his family more this week, I kind of filled in some of that backstory. Kind of kind of blew me away. Um, so Chad was saved here at ACF, which is just amazing. I'm just, I thank God for that. Um, he and his wife, Meg, were baptized at an Easter Sunday service. Again, just incredible, powerful stuff. And um, meanwhile, he'd been diagnosed with brain cancer. He'd been dealing with this for about five years. Again, I, I had no clue any of that was going on. No, no idea. Um, and this whole time, he was committed to our church. He was a, a member of our First Impressions team. He's committed to loving people make them feel welcome in our space, showing them the love of Jesus in the way that he could. Um, and that just, that just kind of floored me uh, that I had no idea this man was dealing with this while he was serving our church in a way. So I think we all have something to learn from Chad. I think I have something to learn from Chad about not making excuses, about not waiting for a better moment, a better opportunity, not waiting until I, I feel better, but making, serving God about, you know, doing good in the moment when I can, making that a priority and seizing that. So I'm thankful to Chad for being a living example to us of what that means. So I want us to, to do this today, to take an action this morning. You have your action steps around your cards. As you came in, you can rip off that little uh, lower, lower portion of your paper, drop it in the, the boxes as you leave. But uh, yeah, I want us to put this into practice. Let's take a step today. Let's take action this morning. So some steps that might be for you today is one, surrender my will to Jesus and make him Lord of my life. If you've never done that, I just, I so encourage you, don't put that off any longer. This is the best decision you can make for your future. Two, this might be you, is to say God willing in a conversation this week. Say God willing, drop that into a conversation. Start making that a habit. Our language is gonna change the way we think. It's gonna change the way we perceive the world. I think it's a great habit to get into. 
Three, submit my dreams, visions, and plans for the future to the will of God. You, you might be a big dreamer out there, and that's awesome. I hope I didn't like crush your dreams today. That's not what this was about, but have you honestly submitted that to the will of God? Are those just your dreams, or are you, are you dreaming with God? Are you guys, are you working together on your future? Only you can answer that, but maybe that's your step today is just submit those goals to God. And then lastly, stop putting out that thing God's calling you to do. I don't know what it is, but, but you know what it is. It's been rather around your head since we started this conversation, right, of here's the thing that I've been putting off. It's, it's, been, it's been weighing on me. I keep pushing it back. Let's just take a step forward this week. Stop procrastinating on obedience. Let's take that step this week. I encourage you guys to do that. Um, and actually, if you want to, you can even write on your card here, this is the thing uh, God has called me to do, and I'm going to put into action this week. We just want to encourage you guys as you're trying to take a step forward in your faith. We want to pray for you in that. Uh, but thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue forward in worship. God, I pray we, just, we could learn to value our time. God, I pray we can learn to see our lives the way that you see our lives, God. Just We are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, God. And I pray we just start to seize every moment, God. Take advantage of every opportunity we have to do good here on this earth, God. I pray you'd make us more sensitive to your spirit, to your calling, to, to uh, your call to obey, God. And God, even I just pray for our hearts as we learn to to deal with the future, God, and acting in the face of uncertainty, God. I pray just, um, I pray we could learn to look at the heart and see what's, what's in there, God. Convict us of our fear, our pride, our selfishness, God, our own ambition. I pray you'd be convicting us of those things and, and uh, drawing us closer in a relationship with you. So, God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for everyone that's here today, God. I pray that they would um, lean in to your will this week, God. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.